Welcome to Steal Your Fitness, the podcast, helping you develop your mental and physical fitness. So no matter how good or not good we all feel, I think we'd like to feel better. And a significant part of feeling better comes from our fitness. But fitness to me is not just about how much we exercise. It's both our physical and mental fitness that can improve our health and then ultimately how we feel. Now this podcast is going to be practical advice and tips as well as some different perspectives on fitness and how we can all develop our own. Ultimately, it's my intention to help us all feel better. You know, I've been on a journey to improve my own health through fitness and when you're looking for direction on where to go, I think it's helpful to hear from people that have already been there. I've been there. You know, I've been on the journey. I've come from a place of being mentally and physically unwell, but I did get better. And this podcast is about sharing with you how I did that and how I'm continuing to do that and how others are doing that. And I am grateful to have you join me. So welcome and I wish you well. Welcome to today's episode. It is the fifth in a series of five episodes on how we can get better, be better and feel better. Uh, Today I'm going to talk about self-worth, letting go of what people think, self-compassion, empathy, comparison, projection, anxiety, um, which includes um, actions and worry. I'm going to talk about grief and guilt and ultimately I'm going to end on what we can do um, ultimately to get better, be better and feel better and that involves investing in ourselves, working on our mental fitness, self-care and skills development. So let's get started. Self-worth is the belief that you're lovable, regardless of how you evaluate your own traits, so the traits being qualities or attributes. So self-worth is the opinion uh, you have of yourself and the value you place on yourself. And when when we say worthy, it's it means deserving. So it comes from within, um, and low self-worth is corrected by cultivating uh, self-belief. But some low self-worth signs, so... If you're very sensitive to criticism, if you put on a false front to impress other people, if you seek validation from other people or attention, um, or just seek things from others to make you feel a certain way about yourself, um, that's a sign of of low self-worth. If you suppress your needs to please others, if you continuously compare yourself to other people, if you often experience self-critical thoughts, if you socially withdraw due to feeling inadequate around um, other people, Uh, if you struggle to accept a compliment or if you're really judgmental, they're just some of of some low self-worth signs or some indications that your self-worth might need some bolstering or some work. Generally, when we don't have self-worth, the feelings of not being worthy or not being deserving have it, or of love it leaves a void within us so self-worth is generally cultivated um, from when we were children and how we were raised um, and when we don't have those feelings there's something it feels like something is missing so what we what we try and do is we try and fill that self-worth with other things and generally it's it's outside approval it could be you're filling the void with um, substances and with behaviours and similarly with our unhealthy coping mechanisms that we would use for stress and, and to avoid feeling feelings, that what we're trying to fill ourselves with um, when, we're, when we're doing some of these things that we do, it's we're trying to fill that void and that, that void is, is, is a, a place of our worth. So we can, we can, what we can do, so we can start to get curious um, as with many things with self-development, we can start to get curious. We can absolutely start paying attention to our self-talk and start redirecting it when it's steering in a negative direction. We can journal. I think journaling is really helpful for self-reflection. And we can just go into our thoughts and really think, ask ourselves, why don't I trust my opinion on this? Why am I upset because someone disagrees with me? Why did I say yes when I didn't want to be a part of something? Why do I value this interaction? You just get really curious and ask yourself a lot of whys you know, writing out our thoughts helps us clarify what's on our minds and helps us understand it and then we can start to accept it we can learn to trust ourselves and when we have enough confidence in what we choose to bring to the table we don't need to strive for perfection that's it. that's really what we need to do is just work on being who we are and and start telling ourselves that we deserve everything just like everybody else we're worthy of everything just like everybody else we don't need to let anyone tell us that our opinion is not good enough because we've been telling ourselves that probably for years and we don't need to. 
we start to set some boundaries. We can establish what our needs are and set some boundaries around that. We're enough. And that's that's the antidote to, to self-worth is not feel, feeling a lack and then starting to educate ourselves that we are enough regardless. We can learn to accept ourselves for who we truly are with our flaws and our mistakes and everything else that makes us and everybody else human. We can do some work on it every day. We can practice, we can get uncomfortable and... And I think a key part of working on our self-worth is to be kind, gentle and patient with ourselves. Gradually, over time, we'll find the confidence to feel worthy and feel that valued and that, that love regardless of how others perceive us. And then it's amazing what we're able to attract when we start believing in what we deserve. And that's really what, what self-worth is. External validation is something that many of us may have um, relied upon to bolster our self-worth in the past um, and with external validation whether that's attention from other people it's sex it's likes on social media it's it, it, I mean it, basically trying to get something from somebody else or something else to make us feel a certain way about ourselves that's external validation but if it's our only source of nourishment we will always be hungry and we almost all love attention and compliments and praise and likes and positive comments. And in the social media space specifically, we have this world of potential validation in our hands. And there's no doubt that it makes us feel good. You know, it picks us up when we might feel down. Um, to use a more modern term, it would hydrate us when it, we feel thirsty. And that's where you would get the term thirst traps from. And we can use this external validation to try and fill a void that we feel within us. Whilst there's not anything wrong with seeking that sort of attention, it, it's, it really is each to their own. But, but when we start to understand that that void that we're looking to fill can never be filled, um, it, it, we'll start to think differently about it because it's, it might cause us some soothing or some relief or, or something in the short term, but it will never, ever fulfill us. Now, how we feel about ourselves or when we, when how we feel about ourselves is relying on other people, it will, it's only ever going to lead to more lack and... Well, a lack and then long-term lack, it's, it's, there's not going to be any fulfillment there. Our self-worth, our self-esteem, our self-esteem and our self-confidence are ours to cultivate. No one can do that for you. No one can do that for me. We can only do that for ourselves. And learning to understand, accept and love ourselves and feel worthy without external validation is the path to happiness and contentment. That's what's going to give us that peace. And... It's just so ironic that what we're searching for, and we're looking for it really hard, what we've been searching for has been within us all along. But absolutely, if, if external validation is our only source of nourishment, we will always be hungry. Now, on social media, I think it's, I mean, for all the, the positive things that social media brings, there's some really um, negative downsides to it. You know, it's a place where we tend to show the best of us and what we want the world to see. And then what we get in return is this validation of an incomplete life. We get likes on part of us, not all of us, because we don't show everything. But being popular online is like being rich in Monopoly. It's not, it's not real. You know, we, we can start to rely on the... on. Yeah, We can start to work on other aspects of ourselves because yeah, that, that external nourishment is never, ever going to fulfil us. Yeah, what we what we sometimes fail to realise is that liking ourselves first and validating ourselves first is actually the most important lesson. It's not really about other people. And what we think about ourselves will forever be more important than what someone else thinks. And once we start to really believe that, and it is an education and it is a cumulative process and it is something that through practice can start to work, um, we will become much less bothered by someone else's perceived thoughts about us. Something only ever bothers us if we if we think on some level that it's true. The goal is to like who we are, know who we really are. That's what we need to work on. But a thousand likes online don't mean anything if you don't like yourself. Self-belief is a really um, big part of fostering self-worth. You know, ideas, I, I see ideas as like the seeds of creation. But if we want to create a belief in ourselves, we need these little I, these little seeds of the idea of it. And that little bit of self-belief, if nurtured, that could grow exponentially. We just need to intend for it to happen and it can happen. With no intention, growth 
of this self-belief as possible, but it's much less likely. But we, but only we can create and cultivate that self-belief. It can't be done for us. Now, any belief that we, you know, we feel we can gain from other port sources or external sources, that's false. That that belief isn't real. It's not real self-belief. That's external validation. And that validation feels great in the short term, but it won't ever be enough for us and because we're just going to continuously need more and more of it. It won't ever fulfill us. But when we believe in ourselves and it comes from within us, that's enough. We, we become enough. You know, all we just need to do is intend for our self-belief to grow, and it will. So a little bit of belief goes a, a long way, but we have to really um, focus on it, something we need to practice. You know, this hole that we're looking to fill, this, this lack of worthiness, we look to fill it with food, alcohol, drugs, smoking, sex, external validation, shopping, gambling, repetitive behaviours, they could be like nail biting, tapping or picking, social media scrolling, TV binging, isolating withdrawal, overworking, trying to gain sympathy from people, overfunctioning, underfunctioning, obsessing over body issues, the, the list goes on. And all of those things might occupy us or make us feel better in the short term but it doesn't make us feel better in the long term in fact it, it probably um, harms us in the long term and so for so long for so many years you know I, I didn't realize this and, and you might not either but we, you don't realize what you're doing and then one filler so that one of those behaviors or or substances one of those fillers can be replaced with another one or we can have multiple fillers at the same time and they can go on for months for years and for decades but whether we're filling a, a void of um, self-worth or we're using it as a coping mechanism to not feel feelings or deal with stress, it's it's never ultimately going to, to help us. But the magic we're looking for is in the work that we're avoiding. So everything we're looking to help fill that space, we already have inside of us, but you just might need some help to get there. So letting go of what people think, like comparison um, and what we think what we think other people think about us, it really damages our self-esteem, our, our self-confidence, our, our ability to love ourselves, our self-worth. But letting go of what people think, um, it is possible. And if we think about how much time we spend thinking about ourselves, what we're doing, where we're going, what we're going to do, work, family, this, that, the, the amount of time we think about ourselves is the vast majority. And in fact, I would say it would be... I don't know, 90% of the time we're thinking about things that are centric to us. But everybody is exactly the same. Everybody is thinking about themselves. They're much more likely thinking about themselves than in anything else. So when we, on the small chance that someone is thinking something about us, about what we did or what we said, it will be very, very fleeting before they go back to thinking about what they were thinking about themselves because that's what we're all doing the vast majority of the time. And even when we're thinking about what someone else is thinking about us, ultimately we're still thinking about us in that time. We're, we're all doing it. In a conversation, we're thinking about our reply. We're thinking about our opinion, our point of view. It takes a lot of practice to fully focus on someone else. So with, even, even with people with great listening skills, the majority of the time, we're, they're just thinking about themselves. So most of the time when we're worrying about what people think, they're not thinking about us. They're thinking about them or they're worrying about what someone else thinks about them because we're all doing it. So we all spend more time thinking about ourselves than other people. And and when someone is thinking about us, it's not a primary thought, it's a secondary thought. So we really need to start considering how much time we're giving thinking about what other people think about us when it's not even their primary thought. Someone else's opinion is based on their beliefs, their skills, their knowledge, their past experience, not ours. So, it's, and, and that's the same as our opinions are based on our beliefs, our knowledge, our past and our experience, not anybody else's. But it's really got nothing to do with us, what someone else thinks. That opinion's based on, on what their personal thoughts, judgments and expectations. So any negative comments that someone makes is about them. Um, it's about them and their values, not about ours. And there's never really been given any or that much thought to it because the major, the significant majority of anyone's thoughts is about them, not us. So when we start to understand that, it's it's easier to start to let it go um, of what, what people think. It's something we need to put a lot of effort into every day. It's something that we can journal. It's something we can address in our self-talk. But really what we know about ourselves 
is forever going to be more important than what someone else might think. So we can spend a lot of time, we can spend days, we can spend months, years, even decades looking for something. It could be success, it could be love, it could be happiness. We spend a lot of time hunting, accumulating and consuming and we never really feel fulfilled. We never really find it. Sometimes you can chase something so much we can never quite catch it. But whatever we're looking for doesn't come to us, it comes from us. If we want love in our lives, we need to be love and then we will attract more love. So we need to just need to be more loving. If we want happiness, then we need to be happy and we will attract more happiness of it. And on many levels, happiness is a choice. If we want success, we need to focus on successes and we'll attract more success. We attract to us what we are. When we focus on the lack of something, the lack grows. When we focus on what we have in abundance, we get more of it. What we're grateful for grows and what we appreciate appreciates. When we stop chasing and when we focus on us, we attract what we are. Whatever it is that we're looking for, we need to stop looking outside of ourselves and start looking inside of ourselves. It doesn't come to us, it comes from us. I th- think that's just an important thing to reflect upon, that when we, we often focus on the lack of things, I don't have this, I don't have that. And that's why we continue to not have it, because that's what we're focusing on. It's a lot to think about. Self-compassion, this is an important part of... Um, of of feeling better about ourselves. Self-compassion is extending compassion to ourselves in instances of our perceived inadequacy, failure, or in our general suffering. Do we treat ourselves like we would treat someone we loved? Do we extend ourselves that same compassion, support, and love that we would to other people? Are we kind? Do we soothe? Do we calm? Do we help? Do we listen in the same way to ourselves that we would with other people? And if we don't, we really, really need to. We can be so compassionate with other people but struggle to be that way with ourselves. Having compassion and patience with ourselves are fundamental mental skills that we need to cultivate. We're constantly learning and growing, so we're not we're not always going to get it right. So if if we were we would never speak to a child that was learning new skills or new things for the first time, we wouldn't berate them for getting it wrong because they're they're learning. So berating ourselves or being hard or impatient with ourselves, it will only hinder the process. It's not going to help us. That self-talk that, that some of us have, it can be so critical and or it could be coaching. It can be berating us or it can be encouraging us. But our life and our, and our minds is going to be a lot more peaceful and a lot nicer place to be when that critic is not a critic and it's a coach. So the next time you hear that voice being anything other than kind, interrupt it. If you wouldn't speak to a loved one that way, don't speak to yourself that way. We can become more compassionate with ourselves through practice, but it takes patience and um, an awareness that that's what we're doing. Self-compassion is the start. It's not, you know, we're not what's happened to us. We are not what we've said and we're not what we've done. Occurrences in our lives are just occurrences. Words are just words and actions are just actions. We're not bad people. We may have just done and said some quote-unquote bad things in our life. But we're all doing our best with our skills and knowledge and experience we have at the time. We don't always make good decisions. We don't always get it right. But when we're compassionate with ourselves, we can learn what we need to learn without berating ourselves. You can learn through gentle and kind reflection. We don't need to be intolerant, harsh, hard or unkind to ourselves. Even if that's how we've grown up and that's all we know. And when you have very, when you had very challenging parents or parents that were quite hard on you, just because that's what you were taught, it doesn't mean that's the way that you need to be with yourself. There are other ways. When we're not compassionate with ourselves, we add to the shame and the guilt that we already have. So why would we want to do that? It can be a habit that we've developed and we might feel that we deserve it, but we don't. We all deserve love and belonging like everybody else. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, we're all deserving. It's, it's just a habit that we can change. Habits can be broken. And they can be broken as effectively as they can be built. We can be more kind and more compassionate with ourselves. And when we do, life gets better. We can learn to grow without feeling worse about ourselves. That's what helps us feel better. It starts with us being gentle, being patient, being kind with ourselves. But we can counteract that shame and that guilt with self-compassion.
empathy is um is a significant mental skill that we can all cultivate and all develop. When we're empathetic, we can help people lessen their own shame. When we can empathize, we can demonstrate to others that they're not alone. We can connect better, we can bond and we can build trust. But an important part of cultivating empathy is developing our listening skills. When we really want to hear someone, when we need to we need to listen to them without forming an opinion and without having any judgment. And our responses matter. So some examples of empathetic responses, that sounds really difficult. Um, How can I best be there for you? Your feelings are valid. Your concerns and worries are important to me. Do you want a hug? I would also feel like crying if that happened to me. I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm happy to listen if you need to talk. It's interesting, something happened to me a few, um, about a month ago now, probably a few weeks ago. And um, I was with a friend and we were walking and um, I was going on about something and which is an important, venting is an important part of, of dealing with emotions and feelings. And he said to me, um, when I'd come to a sort of a natural pause in the conversation, he just said, are, are you okay? Like, is there any, do you want to keep talking about it or or do you, are you okay? Like, are you done sort of thing? And what really appreciated that is he that he was very empathetic. He understood that I might need to continue to talk about it because you know sometimes you just you might even need to just re say what you're saying over again. But it helps you get it out. But I really appreciated that empathetic response and the fact that he understood that I needed to talk about what I needed to talk about and was willing to continue to listen, even though he'd probably listened to me talk about it in four different ways over an hour. Um, I really appreciated that. But that empathy that I was shown made me feel better. And we can do that for other people. We can do that for ourselves. Right? We've all felt low. We've all felt sad. We've all felt anxious. And when we know someone is feeling that way, we can remember and recall those feelings ourselves. That understanding and that feeling that they may feel actually helps us. Right? When we don't respond with opinions and shoulds and... And, and those sorts of things, we're being more supportive, more understanding and more empathetic. And we all know this for ourselves. Sometimes we don't need or want an opinion from someone. We just want someone to listen. But our shame is absolutely less when we share it. So we can encourage empathy. Just taking a break from the podcast to bring you a special offer just for my podcast listeners. I'm giving you 20% off my entire range of digital download guides. I have how-to guides on so many topics, how to reduce body fat, how to build muscle, how to sleep better, how to build motivation, and a whole lot more. I have my targeted training guides, grow your abs, grow your chest, your glutes, your legs, all major muscle groups. They're full guides and they include eight-week workout plans. I've got my trainer-made workout plans, which cover everything, cardiovascular training, stability training, which is resistance training for beginners, through to endurance, hypertrophy or muscle growth, and strength training. They're full, they're detailed, and they include up to 16 weeks worth of workouts in every one. So for 20% off my guides and workout plans, go to stealyourfitness.com forward slash shop and enter the discount code PODCAST20. It's an exclusive offer for my podcast listeners and is available for a limited time. There's no limits. You can download as many as you want and you can use the code as many times as you want. That code again is PODCAST20, so PODCAST20, and it's available on all my how-to guides, my targeted training guides, and my trainer-made workout plans. Check it out now, stillyfitness.com forward slash shop, and enter the code PODCAST20 for 20% off my digital download guides and the exclusive offer for my podcast listeners. Now, back to the show. So comparison is really, really unhelpful. Comparison blocks progress. And that it, it, it does that by using other people's perceived strengths against our own perceived weaknesses. It distracts us from seeing our own progress and it directs energy onto other people and away from ourselves. It's the single biggest way to reduce our self-confidence. We can stop comparing ourselves to other people. And we can start doing that from today. It takes practice, and when we catch ourselves doing it, we can tell ourselves it's not helpful, and we can focus on something else. Someone else's progress is not our progress. But when we compare ourselves to someone else, it's not a fair scenario. As I, as I like to say, we might be comparing our chapter one with their chapter 20. No one is as successful as Instagram shows them to be, and no one is as pretty as the filter makes them. We can focus on ourselves more than we can focus on others. 
it just it just requires a change it, a, it requires some awareness and then it requires some effort to change it comparison erodes our joy the only comparing we should be allowing ourselves to do is where we were compared to where we were to yesterday and where, to where we are today comparing ourselves with ourselves that's the only helpful comparison have we made progress if not what can we do so that we've made some progress or some in some some area today ready for tomorrow life isn't about being better than anyone else it's about being being better than what we used to be and that's the journey that leads us to who we really are we can stop ourselves doing it if we don't remind ourselves in time we can stop as soon as we realize that we that we're comparing ourselves and we can remind ourselves again that it's just it's not helpful we can convert our comparison into appreciation or we can just not do it at all I really don't think that we should ever be measuring our own progress with someone else's ruler. It's Comparison is just one of the most torturous things we can do to ourselves. Comparing how we look, how we feel, what we have, what we've done. Whilst being, being inspired is uplifting, comparing is just incredibly deflating. Right? It's, but the hole in it is that just we're never ever comparing like with like. Right? Whoever we're comparing ourselves to, they're not us. They've had different childhoods, different privilege, different educations, different experiences, different lives. And it, yeah, the only useful comparison we can have is to who we, who we were yesterday, last month or last year. You know, when we compare ourselves with ourselves, that is like with like. It's helpful and it's healthy. We're always progressing and we're always learning whether we're intending to or not. But, but we, can't, we can't measure ourselves and our own progress with someone else's ruler. So apart from comparison, projection is another thing that, that we really just need to be aware of and it, it can help us feel better when we understand it. Sometimes we project how we think and how we feel onto others as a way of discharging our own comfort and others do that to us. And when we do this, it creates a diversion from our own lack of self-esteem and to avoid dealing with our own insecurities. You know, we can do it to justify morally unacceptable things towards others, to avoid feeling guilty about making mistakes, and to distract ourselves from feeling angry, fearful, or, or feeling resentment. Projection is when we criticize someone else for their appearance. And that would be likely because we have a personally, we have a deep insecurity about the same thing in ourselves. Projections, when we believe someone doesn't like us it's likely that we are the ones that actually have the strong dislike when we get deep enough it's when we projections when we express that we feel uncomfortable or other people make us feel uncomfortable when it's probably the issue is within us that we feel self-conscious around other people um, projection is is like telling someone that they can't achieve something because we deep down believe that we would be incompetent or we would feel that we wouldn't be able to achieve it um, projection is overreacting to something that we're insecure or feel shame about. But we project what we're holding inside. Um, and most conflict is 10% of what's actually happening in 90% of a past wound that's causing us discomfort now. And that's why we and other people project. The awareness of how we can stop projecting our fears onto other people is the first step in stopping it, ourselves doing it. Um, projection is... Yeah, I mean, we all do it. But once we're aware of it, we can start to reduce what we're doing. You know, what we feel, what we do, how we act, it is a complete reflection of us. And other people, how, how, what they think, what they do, how they act, it's, it's all about them. And the, the more that we start to understand that, the less personally we start to take things and the less bothered we are by other people because we know what they're doing. Um, and, and it is helpful. So anxiety. Um, Anxiety isn't just worry and feeling nervous or anxious. It's anxiety is also guilt. It's feeling drained. It's pessimism. It's avoidance. It's shame. It's compulsive behaviors. It's intrusive thoughts. But having anxiety and feeling anxious are different. Anxiety is a symptom. It's not a root cause. So feeling anxiety might just mean you're really sweaty. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're afraid, feeling afraid of the unknown. It's it's a bit of worry. It's feeling uncomfortable. It's trying to change something outside of your control. It's it's it could be a concern that something is changing. It could be a response to perceived danger. It might present itself as a desire to control people and events. 
it's difficulty getting to sleep, it's feeling agitated or angry, it's it's other challenging behaviours, it's having high expectations of yourself and that could be at school, at work or, or in sports, it's avoiding activities, work or, or even school, it's struggling to pay attention and focus, it's an intolerance of uncertainty, it's it can be crying and difficulty managing emotions and it's over planning and or just feeling worried about situations and events all the time. I mean, that's not an exhaustive list, but when you, those are the sorts of things that we do when we're feeling anxiety. Some subtle signs of anxiety might include doubting the goodness or validity of, an, of opportunities that come our way, triple-checking things just to make sure, feeling self-conscious about how we look or walk in public, uh, forgetting or putting things off, um, just having those consistent worst-case scenario thoughts, scrolling social media for lengthy periods of time, just they're really subtle signs of, of anxiety. Physical anxiety um, could present itself as just being really tired, fatigue, tight throat, an upset stomach, irritable bowels, fidgeting, being restless, shaky hands or legs, just feeling sick, headaches or just feeling lightheaded. They're physical um, signs of, of, of feeling anxiety. And then anxiety attacks, you know, some of us have experienced those and that's intense feelings of fear, doom, foreboding, gloom, a sudden urgency to escape, to run away or get out of, of somewhere. And God, I, I definitely had that before. I've just had to literally run out of a supermarket or a shop when there was too many people around me. I just had way too much anxiety. Fear that you might lose control of your thoughts and actions, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, feeling like you might pass out. Um, difficulty breathing, chest pain, your hands and your feet feeling numb, being lightheaded or woozy, having irrational thoughts. That's what an anxiety attack can feel like. I know it doesn't happen to everyone, thankfully, but for those of you that, that it may have happened to or, or that you've experienced those things, that is likely what was happening to you. But the deepest fear in all of anxiety is what if I can't cope? That's really the seed of it all. and it's And that fear of the, the worry that we have of something that might happen, that fear that we have has absolutely zero evidence to back it up. And so it can then be intellectually challenged in our minds. Everything, absolutely everything in our life we've coped with and we've survived. We have literally lived through everything. We've coped, so we can cope and we will cope. We're resilient. No matter what we think can happen, no matter how bad we think it could be, we'll, we will get through it. Even when we can't see how. Feelings of anxiety are part of the human experience. They're all linked to the future and they are just, it's just a little bit of fear. And it's concerned about what may or may not, it's when we're concerned about what may or may not happen. Whatever will happen will happen and it's okay to feel anxious about it, so just feel it. Know that sometimes the inability to embrace the uncertain is uncomfortable, but it passes. But that core of anxiety, the seed of it, is just the thought that we won't cope with what's going to happen. But we will, because we always have. What helps with anxiety? Uh, mindfulness and being present. So self-care, um, episode one of the podcast, goes through a lot of things we can do to help um, feel better. And mindfulness and being present is a big part of that. So meditation, breathing, stretching, or just spending more time in nature. It absolutely helps our anxiety. Journaling, writing down our feelings, our fears, our worries. We can question, is it true or not true? Is that fact? Is it a fact? Is it not, not a fact? It just helps clear the mind and identifies and acknowledge is any feelings that we have. But also, um, one of the antidotes to anxiety is action. So if we feel anxious about something, what can we do? Doing something helps helps us um, manage and, and I call it an antidote to anxiety, taking some action. You can talk to your trusted and what I mean by that is you can open up about your anxiety. Telling someone else that we feel anxious can help it dissipate. Managing your mental fuel or nutrition, so just unplug from the news, restricting negativity from media and other people, put your phone on silent, turn off the notifications, have some phone free time and that could be every day. Um, I I absolutely put my phone down for a big period of time before I go to sleep on a night. It just helps. Taking a break from social media, even if it's just for an hour. Social media is one of the most anxiety-inducing factors of the modern world. Managing our physical nutrition is also important. Reducing and, and 
maybe not removing, but definitely reducing our caffeine, our alcohol, our nicotine and any other stimulant. Whilst those things will soothe us in the short term, they they really they don't they don't help our anxiety generally um, because they're stimulating the body. We can foster sleep and rest, making our sleep a, a routine. We feel worse about things, we struggle with life, we don't feel as good when we don't have as much rest. So prioritizing our sleep and our rest is important. Gratitude, keeping a gratitude journal, um, writing down five, I, I write 10 plus, but whatever works for you, keeping a gratitude journal and then rereading it when you're anxious, going back through what you've been grateful for every day really does help us when we're feeling anxious. Movement and exercise. When our mental health is struggling, we can focus on being more active. And even when you don't feel like going and doing a workout, just go for a walk. Walking and working out a little bit is better than none. So if you feel anxious, just go walk somewhere. But a, a big thing, I think, is definitely just taking some sort of action. Procrastination. Um, it, it, we, we use procrastination to kind of try and manage anxiety in the short term, but actually it creates more anxiety in the long term. So, yeah, I see it as it's like a band-aid for anxiety, procrastination is, but we can face this avoidance by picking a task we've been avoiding and putting off for a while and just get on with it. Taking some type of action um, helps us with our anxiety. You know, during that time, um, we can just focus completely on the task and the experience of, of it through fully through the five senses just really focus on doing what we're doing just make room for how we feel about it and just make a start and if after 10 minutes it's you you've you want to stop or you don't like it or you can't cope or, or whichever then just stop but you might actually be fine focusing on that and getting through it and then you will feel better afterwards so it's just taking some action i think other things that help anxiety um, is having some structure and some routine. So making the bed every morning. So having a structure, a routine, something. So regularity of action helps regulate our feelings. Um, we can remind ourselves with our self-talk. So with some coping statements, we can soothe ourselves. Which seems, if you've never done it before, it might seem a bit odd. But it's really helpful. So we can just tell ourselves that the feeling that we're feeling is uncomfortable. But it's not permanent. I don't need to focus on it or work it out we don't this feeling is useful to remind me to slow down and to breathe this is temporary and it will pass we can tell ourselves i can't suffer the future because it doesn't exist what i'm suffering from is actually just my imagination so you might feel a little silly saying things like that to yourself and you'll you'll have your own phrases but it really does work we can soothe ourselves but any other so some other anxiety um, reducing actions, we can eliminate stresses and triggers. You know, if we know something can bother us and we can do something about it, we'll just remove it. Seems really like an obvious thing, but it's something we, we don't do enough of. We can set some boundaries. We can acknowledge what we can and can't control. We can practice being assertive. We can say how we feel out loud. We can allow a designated time to think about what's concerning us. But I would suggest just not doing that before you go to sleep. Also with anxiety, when we resist anything, it, it tends to persist. And trying not to be anxious can make, sure, make us more anxious. When we feel anxious, we can just acknowledge that's how we feel and just take some action. And as I said, action is often the antidote to anxiety. So we can do something, we can change something, we can write something down, we can, we can do something. We can do any number of things, but trying not to be anxious doesn't work. It just adds to it. We can we can get curious. What triggered it? What happened? When did it happen? Why did it happen? How did it happen? And journaling the answers to those questions is helpful. Writing down different and balanced outcomes to our anxiety challenges, that's helpful. We do tend to dwell on the negative and those worst possible outcomes, but we can consider the positive or the best possible outcomes. We can detail what we can and we can't control and then focus on what we can control. You'll find a way that works for you, just just don't fight it because that fighting of the anxiety, that's what fuels it. And being anxious ultimately is being attached to a, a future outcome. We all experience anxious feelings at times. It's common. You know, every everybody has it. But when we're feeling anxious, it's just it's it's helpful to remind ourselves that we're just being attached to something that may or may not happen. 
concerned about or thinking about or unsettled about what could or could not happen. And that's where being mindful helps us. Journaling down and writing down the solutions or the scenarios, it, it helps us. But we don't have to have to live like that and we don't have to be fearful. We can change our thoughts over time. It's it's putting in some conscious effort when we're feeling like that. And cumulatively over time, we are less and less affected by it. It's not a it's not a quick thing, it's not an instant thing. But knowing that whatever is gonna happen will happen, whether we have anxious thoughts about it or not, is helpful. Often we can't control that first anxious thought, but we can control the second one. There is so little certainty in life and we have no we've no real idea what's gonna happen for sure, but bringing ourselves back to the right now and trying to live in that and breathing and experiencing that is is really all we can do. Monday will come, time will pass, it will be okay, we will be okay. But being anxious is just being attached to a future outcome. Taking action. Um, it's a common theme, I think, with self-care and self-compassion is to be patient and to be kind with yourself. Um, give yourself a break, though. Rest as and when you need to. But we're all going to always have days where we don't feel good, much as like we have days where we are not physically well. So... You can have a, you know, when you have a cold and you're just like, I really, I, I can't deal with it today because I've got a cold and I feel really unwell. But there's days mentally we feel like that. They're actually really common. And some of us have got more not feeling good days than others. So some of us mentally don't feel good more than other people. Or maybe they're just, the other people just aren't sharing it. But that's the same as some of us tend to get more physical injuries than other people. Like if you're a really active person, you'll, you'll generally... By chances of being just more active, you will chance that you'll potentially get more physical injuries. It kind of happens. So some of us are more predisposed to feeling not mentally great and some of us are more predisposed to physical injury. They're both the same thing and they're, they're both as common. But we all have got goals. We'd like to think we do. We've all got dreams. We've all got ambitions that need need action or need focus. And if we don't have any goals... Or conscious ones, you're working towards unconscious goals. And that's another whole, whole podcast. But it's it's taking small steps every day in the right direction. That leads us where we want to go. So that's important with we're building a habit, we're trying to get better, we're trying to achieve a goal or a dream or, or get somewhere. But when we don't feel good in our minds or we have a physical ailment, um, which some of us have those common things, yeah, some of us don't feel great more than, and than others that don't, you know, yeah, I'm not articulating that very well. Basically, some of us have mentally not good days more than other people. But if we if we only took action to achieve what we wanted to achieve in life on the days we felt good, we wouldn't get that much. We wouldn't get as much done. We can not feel great and still make stuff happen. We just need to take little steps of action on our not good days and they will help those days feel a little bit better. As I said, action is often an antidote to anxiety and it can help us. But keeping going, keeping moving, even if it's just one little step, even on those days that you don't feel good, can help you feel better. So worrying. Um, God, stop worrying. It's so much easier said than done, isn't it? Sometimes it's so hard. It's, in fact, it's impossible to stop worrying. But once we're on that roller coaster of emotion, it's so hard to get off. The anxiety and the worry of what might happen strikes us and then and just some of us have cultivated better coping skills to deal with it just know that if you are someone that once you get on the worry train and you're on it and you're on it for hours or for days it, it is possible to not get on it you just need to be open to the fact that I won't always feel like this there is ways and means of cultivating different coping mechanisms and interrupting your thoughts it is possible to not feel like that. And that's the first step in doing something about it, is just being open to the fact that I don't have to feel like this. It's, it's not always going to be this way. I always try and think and then write down, and the writing down is important, of all of the possible good outcomes to contra counteract any of this foreboding or catastrophizing things that I think about from time to time. Perspective is so easy when you're not inside of a worry bubble. But when you're in it, it consumes everything. You can't really see outside of it. We just really need to try and understand that worrying about something or anything 
is just going to cause us potentially to suffer twice. So once when we worry about it, and then once again, if and when it happens. If we don't worry about it, and it still happens, we'll only suffer the once. But if we assume and think the best will happen, then at least one of the experiences is going to have a better outcome, if only in our mind. The other unfortunate side of our minds, if we're predisposed to it, is that we have we fill all uncertainty. We we almost always fill it with blanks, and those blanks of dread and their of caution and their of concern. And the eventuality of anything is often never quite as bad as we anticipate. As we go through life, we have different experiences, and our resilience grows, and we become less affected by it. So next time you catch yourself heading towards a worry bubble, try and think of all of the good things that could happen. I know it's difficult and it takes effort and it takes action, but often it's that, anxio- that action that is the antidote to some of those anxious thoughts. So worrying is, is using your imagination to create something that, that you don't want. But we all worry. It's a natural emotion. For some of us it's fleeting and for some of us it's much more prolonged. It is possible to reduce our worry and it's possible to interrupt it. It's worrying, I find, is a, just a collection of our thoughts. It's not reality. Sometimes worry is a sign that we need to take some action. So maybe we could turn it into an opportunity. So even when bad things happen, um, which they do, it's just part of being human. When, when, yeah, when we're worried about them, they are so much... So much so, they're never quite as bad as what we anticipate or what we've imagined. You know, the only thing that worry affects is our health. And even though we can understand it, for some of us, we will always, you know, we will always have some worrying thoughts. But it's good to be reminded um, that, yeah, well, why, why am I worrying about this? We could, yeah, again, I'm not articulating myself very much. It's very early in the morning. Um, but I, I do think we can take some action about it. We can be open to the fact that we don't need to be a constant worrier. Grief is an unfortunate part of our lives. We can all experience it differently and about different things. It can be about the loss of a loved one, a job, a dream, a pet, a friendship, a relationship, even a childhood. And anything that is meaningful to us, we can feel grief about. It might be something that we've forgotten about or suppressed. Um, it might be something quite distant. It could be something quite recent. But grief can accompany any change, even a good one. And it can be experienced as unpredictable mood swings, general sadness, hopelessness, or or even depression. It can be experienced as anxiety, guilt, shame, loneliness, shock, denial, anger, regret. It could be experienced as self-blame, feelings of being overwhelmed, being out of control. It could be experienced as disorientation. So how how do I move on? An identity crisis, who even am I now? Or bargaining, what what could I have done to present, prevent this? We all go through stages in grief and we can get stuck in the stages and we, we can progress through them and we can regress through them. It's, it's different for everyone. And the grief stages, they go from being hurt to adjusting to loss and, and they, they, they really flow from, from the shock and the numbness and the denial through the, the feelings of anger and fear and searching and panic and guilt all the way through to um, learning new strengths and patterns and hope and affirmation and, and, and eventually loss adjustment. But the feeling goes, we can go through it and we can go backwards and it takes time and it takes patience. Things might get harder before they get easier, but they do eventually get better. Nothing is permanent. Everything in life is temporary. We will feel better and, and grief eventually does pass. And if you have some very complex grief, or even not, you, you might just need some help um, professionally to help you through that. But but knowing that, that grief is a real thing, there is treatment to help you, uh, is important. Guilt. We've all experienced flashes or feelings of, of guilt. You know, that gut punch, the regret, the embarrassment, the shame of something that we've done or that we've said. And we might have hurt someone, you know, or hurt someone or something or even ourselves we might have done something illegal or immoral it might have been public or it might have been private it might have been slight it might have been significant it might be one thing or it could be many things we all have a past and that past makes up parts of who we are but they're not the total of us and as much as we're not yet our potential we are absolutely not our, our pasts when we make mistakes we can learn from them and we continue to make 
the same mistakes until we do learn from them. We can take a lesson to serve us, or we can hold guilt about it, and that's where it can deplete us. But when we know better, we do better. Everyone is doing their best with the skills and experience they have at the time, and that's ourselves included. When we reflect, we can learn and we can grow from things. We can learn that whatever we did was what we did. It's not who we are now. And understanding that helps us accept our mistakes so we can let go of our guilt. And I always like to think it's just what I did. It's not, it's not who I am. If you generally don't feel good um, in, in any part of your life, you'll need to do something different. Now, we've, all got, we've all had those days where we don't feel good mentally. And acceptance of that fact is helpful. I'm just not having a good day. I don't feel good. But usually it's just a day or a couple of days. It's just much like a, a physical ailment. Lots of things feel better the next day. When we don't feel better and we don't feel good the next day or the day after, we've got some options. And that's that's what I think I think that's important to know. It's like we, this doesn't need to continue. We need to do something. We can continue as we are and hoping things will change and that, that something or some things will happen differently to help us. Um or or we can do something different. So we can hope for change or we can do something different ourselves but quite consciously might be doing some sort of different exercise having a different routine having a social media break if we wouldn't already do that it could be a new self-care practice but doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome is just not going to work try doing different things that that's how we feel different by doing different things but trying different things and expecting a different outcome has a much higher chance of working because if we've done keep doing the same thing we'll the chances are we'll just continue to feel the same way. But when we don't feel good, we can stay the same. Or if we don't feel good, we can do something different. Doing something different helps us or can help us. And then there's anything, um, anything that we do, anything that can cost us our mental health is just too expensive. There are there's so many choices in life that we can make. There are many situations or circumstances we find ourselves in and that have choices that are to be made but we don't always make the best decisions for our mental health we don't always consider the consequences of our choices for example it might be you have a job that you really love and it's you feel very happy in it and then there's another job that could potentially cost you your mental health but it's going to pay you a whole lot more so we'll often then make the choice to go for the money because it will we want more income or we need more income or all that sort of thing but actually it's going to make us miserable because it might be that the working hours are much more or changed or different or or whichever. Nothing um is nothing is worth more than how we feel about ourselves. How we feel every day. We live inside of our minds. It doesn't matter how much we get paid. And that's just one example of many, but but anything that costs uh, costs us or could affect our mental health is just too expensive. You know, any person we encounter, any position that we hold Anything that can damage our mental health is just not worth it. Our mental health is just too valuable and it can be really fragile. For some of us especially, preserving it, developing it, working on it has got to be a priority for us. Health is everything. You know, we wouldn't deliberately stay in a physically or potentially damaging place if, you know, we would acknowledge that danger around us and, and, and to our health and we would, to protect ourselves, we would remove ourselves from any potentially damaging physical situation. But unfortunately, we're not as naturally proactive when that position we're in or the damage that can happen to us is mental. We'll often just stay, we let it happen, and then our mental health suffers as a consequence of it. And the, the concerning reality of it is that the more our mental health becomes damaged by a situation, the less able we are to move away from it. Much like if we got physically hurt, it's, it's, it's more difficult then to move away from a physically damaging situation when we're already injured. We then, then need help to get out of the danger. And we need help to to recover. But prevention is always preferable to cure. Anything that costs us our mental health is far too expensive. So what can we do? So of all of these things to feel better, what can we do? We can invest in ourselves. We can put ourselves first as a priority. It's financially sensible that we live below our means and that we save and we invest. You know, we do it for our future, we do it for our families, we do it for our retirement. But when we don't invest and we leave our money in a dormant account, it doesn't grow and there's no return because there's no investment. And the same with our finances as with ourselves. When we do not invest in ourselves, we don't grow. 
whether it be money or with time or with priorities, how we decide to invest is personal to us. It could be reading, it could be listening, it could be learning. We could be hiring coaches, trainers or specialists to help us. It could be just prioritising our time and investing in ourselves that way with prioritising self-care for our physical and our mental health and fitness. To get the best out of our future, we need to get the best out of the present and investing ourselves with with money, so whether that could be with therapy or coaches or, or whatever we needed to spend money on. Time, so prioritising our time to benefit ourselves and investing in ourselves, that is never wasted and the return on the investment is always guaranteed by investing in ourselves. I find some therapy that or a therapist that works for you. There are just so many. We've all got a different path. Find and invest in a coach, a trainer or a mentor. Now when we're heading to a particular destination, it's helpful to find out more from someone that's already been where we want to go. And yeah, of course we can get anywhere without it, but the journey will be much faster when we know exactly where we need to go and, and how exactly we need to get there. What else can we do? We can work on our mental fitness. Growing our mental fitness, they're like mental muscles, our mental skills, it's a process that takes time and patience. And when we develop and grow our physical muscles, it's a cumulative effort, it's over time, and over that time we see tone and growth over time. But we've become naturally impatient, we all want really instant and quick results, but unfortunately that's not something we can do with muscle. And yeah, there's optimum environments and programs we can follow, hitting the right diet and routines and... But that muscle growth is maxed at a particular level naturally. And so is our mental muscle skill growth. It takes time, but we don't notice the difference straight away. And we need the awareness and the discipline to be consistent. And in a few months' time, we can reflect and see quite how far we've come. So no matter what skill we're working on and what mental muscles we want to develop, we've got to be patient. We've got to be consistent. And that's when we'll see and feel results over time. Little by little becomes a lot. Patience is a primary skill we can develop. It can be easier to develop patience with others than it can be with ourselves, but we just need to keep going. You will get there. We will get there. Be patient building these mental muscles. But One of the strongest ways to build mental fitness is by exercising the mental muscle of having an open mind. Being open-minded is a mental muscle, and that's being open to anything, open to new ideas, new perspectives, new opportunities, and new ways. We often think we already know and we already think that we're right about things. And what we what we may know and might be right, but our way of thinking, as right or as wrong as it might feel, is only one way of thinking. And holding space for an opinion that's not our own is a skill, and it's a skill that requires practice. Being open to the thought that you can feel better, get better or be better is the very start in regards to making anything um, making any progress, being open to accepting a situation or circumstance, being open to the idea of forgiving and letting go, being open to the idea of healing, being open to the idea of needing some support, some help or some guidance, being open to change, being open to trying, being open to being open. Anything is possible if we're open to the idea of it. We can do more to build our mental fitness and strength daily and that could look like any one of the following things. We could talk to a professional, I could not. I could not reinforce that enough. A therapist, a coach, talking to a professional about um, your life, your goals, or in regards to your problems and challenges, a therapist. Having an uncomfortable discussion with a difficult person, that can absolutely help your mental fitness. Being brave and doing that. Speaking up for yourself and asking for what you want. Stating your needs, understanding your needs, and having boundaries. I think crying can help. It can help release how we're feeling instead of holding it in or apologising for it. We can say no when we fear the outcome of something. That helps build our mental fitness. We can ask for more because we're worthy of it. If you need more of something, ask for it. We can distance ourselves from emotionally draining interactions. We do not need to be around people that make us feel crap about ourselves. You can advocate for yourself. Um, we can feel better. We can build our mental fitness by doing, not doing what we've always done. If we always do what we've always done, we will continue to feel the same way. We need to do something different. We can persevere despite obstacles, setbacks and not stop signs. Things will happen all the time. Life will happen. Um, and we can use every reason of something not going the right way to stop. Or we can just persevere. We can resist the urge to be perfect. Never ever going to happen. So we can let that go. We can just make little healthier choices every day. Allow ourselves to feel our feelings. That's where freedom is.
when we feel our feelings, they pass. And that brings us the peace that we're looking for. We don't need to judge our feelings as good or bad. Our feelings are our feelings. We feel how we feel. Accepting help when someone, you know, when someone offers it and asking for help when we need it. Huge strengths in that. Um, but important, most importantly, I think it's just acknowledging how we feel and not just saying that we're okay. Self-care principles, absolutely key in regards to helping us feel better, get better and be better. Um, that one through one through 15, I'll, I'll go through them really quickly. Episode one covers all of these in a lot of detail. So I suggest you go back and, and listen to episode one and season one. One, drink enough water, two to three litres a day. Two, move by walking more. Our body and our mood benefits from movement. Three, eat more whole foods and plants. We can eat better to feel better. Four, practice gratitude. So write five things down every day that you're grateful for. Five, address our self-talk. Practice turning our inner critic into our inner coach. Six, stretching. Really helpful step into mindfulness. It really helps us. Stretching always makes us feel good. Seven, manage our mental fuel. So that is reducing our exposure to negativity, you know, learning daily and using our mind for learning new things and not just subjecting the mind to constant stimulation. So using our brain in a different way. Number eight, being quiet. So that's mindfulness. That As much as the body benefits from movement, the mind benefits from stillness. So that's silent reflection. It could be meditation, time in nature. It could be some sort of mindfulness practice, giving your mind a break and just being present. And that could only, it only needs to be five minutes. Ideally, it would be much longer, but if you can only do a minute, just start there. You've got to give your mind a break. It's it's essential in feeling better. And number nine, number nine is exercise. So cardiovascular and resistance training is part of our weekly routines. Get sweaty. Ten, develop the ability, our ability to manage stress, discomfort, and adversity. Sitting with it, breathing through it, journaling, talking, exercising, moving, meditating, even praying. We have to cultivate better ways of managing stress that are not unhealthy coping mechanisms. It could be learning, it could be listening, it could be lots of things, but being having a conscious way of how we're going to manage our stress. We, we, we can't avoid stress. Stress is an unfortunate part of all of our lives, but stress comes from our inability to accept a situation for what it is. When we want something different, when we want something to be different than what it is, that's what causes our stress. So we can either accept it, accept things for how they are which will help us reduce our stress or we can just help manage um, the experience of stress but we won't be able to eliminate it unless we fully accept everything all the time which is unlikely um we can journal uh, that's number 11 write down our feelings our thoughts our ideas and our actions you know what do we want to do what have we done journaling an important self-care principle number 12 um, foster sleep and rest, so cultivating it, making it a priority in our routine, important. Self-care principle 13, being creative um, and playing every day. So just finding an outlet for our creative energy or playing. And we don't need to be good at something to create it, but having having time to play every day and creating something, whether it's a playlist or a sculpture or, or a painting, it doesn't really matter. Um, being creative every day is important. It helps us feel better. 14, being brave. Um, we need to do something every day that, that that requires us to be brave. It helps us build our confidence. And that's by just doing things that uh, make us feel slightly uncomfortable or that we're afraid of. And that includes sitting and expressing our boundaries and being clear what and what is not okay and keeping our word, particularly to ourselves, prioritizing our own needs above the comfort of others. So important, such a, an important part of self-care. And number 15 is skills development. We need to be actively finding opportunities to practice, especially our mental skills. And these skills could be um, just our skills of awareness, so acknowledgement and accountability, so our, the skills of discipline, working on our willpower and our grit, our skills of determination, they could be tenacity, persistence, decisiveness, uh, the mental skill of optimism, faith, problem solving. Mental skills of motivation and drive, so proactivity, taking responsibility. Um, the practice, uh, the mental skill of patience, that's tolerance and calmness. So whether it, I mean, the, the list goes on. We could practice presence, resilience, courage, compassion, consistency, authenticity, organisation, communication, self-talk, 
it goes on and on. Like there's so many mental skills that we can practice, but if we want to get better at something, we need to have an awareness of it and we need to have a focus on it. Change though can be glacial. We don't wake up after a workout and become toned. You know, we don't we don't really look any different even after dieting just for a couple of weeks. We we can't play an instrument fully well after just a couple of lessons. And we don't become disciplined after just being disciplined one or two times. And we don't immediately change our perspective when seeing something in a new way. Change is so really instant. It's very rarely an epiphany. Most change is cumulative. It's gradual. And I, I find it's glacial in pace. And it takes a lot longer than we would want it to. And that's why it's important that we take pictures and measurements when we're changing our body shape or improving something physically. And it's important to journal how we're feeling and how we think and how we act and respond to things because then we've got a, we can reflect back on how our mindset is changing. Change can take a long time. And most of it is so gradual we don't even seem to notice at the time. And because we don't, because we don't notice the difference, tracking the progress is a habit we can build in a practice in itself, but it helps. It really helps. When we have so much further to go, it's rewarding to see how far we've come. And sometimes we don't even start our attempt goals because we think it's going to take a long time to achieve. But all I can say to that is that the time is going to pass anyway, so we might as well be going for it. And um, whether it's working on a perspective and changing our perspective, it's working on a skill, it's working on a some sort of self-care principle, um, just start and then keep going you know we can do this don't be disheartened you know change can take a long time but patience and trust in the process is important you know we all like quick results we all like this super fast downloads and next day delivery it's it's our microwave lives but feeling better isn't a quick thing it's gradual and it's cumulative and it will take possibly take us longer than we want it to but patience is a big part of the of, of the process and so is trust trust that investing in yourself prioritizing your mental and your physical health through self-care is the right thing to do but change is hard change is difficult for everyone we don't like it it's our human nature and whenever we want to achieve something we have to do something differently than how we've been doing it before because change is the main ingredient of any achievement if we didn't have to change we'd already have what it is that we wanted and that would be to get better to be better or to feel better but you can do it um I can do it. I'm still doing it all. You know, I work on it all the time. So you can do it. We can do it. So let's do it. Now available at stealyourfitness.com forward slash shop is Steal Yourself, my digital download guide on how to get better, be better and feel better. It covers everything I've talked about in the podcast and a whole lot more. It's 163 pages. It's really easy to follow, really easy to understand and will be immediately emailed to you on purchase. So that is Steal Yourself, How to Get Better, Be Better and Feel Better. And it's available to download now at stealyourfitness.com forward slash shop. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got any queries or comments, uh, you can find me on social media at Steal Your Fitness. That's where you can give us a like or a share or a follow, any of which would be very much appreciated. I'd also be really grateful if you could subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already and then also give the the podcast a five-star rating and a review on wherever you get your podcasts from it really helps me grow the podcast and then i can reach more people so once again thanks for listening i hope you feel better today and as always i wish you well